We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, everyone. Before we get started, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month. That's the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com forward slash join. bwhustle.com forward slash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more. But that's bwhustle.com slash join. jaw-dropping, heartbreaking, sucker-punching European exit for Benfica. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. How nice is it for the sucker-punch, the gut-wrenching, heart-ripping, soul-destroying European elimination to be the team we're playing against and not us? Uh, we discussed this on the Instant Reaction Pod for patrons last night, but like, I can't really remember off the top of my head the last one of these we had where... 
we were on the the delivering end of one of these kind of sucker punches. And so we're going to chat about that today, just a two-handed chat, which hopefully would be fun, a lot of back and forth uh, with me and Tim. You can find him on Twitter. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Hello probably there. Probably yeah. the last... The, the last one was probably well i mean it depends how much you count the fa cup final and semi-final and I, I don't think those were sucker punches really but we beat sheffield united in the quarter final of the fa cup in stoppage time so that was probably the last one i'd say yeah i mean in europe what's the last yeah, tie europe. we won at the death or near the death like this i can think of so many we lost this way <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Other mm. than I remember like beating Marseille away in the last minute, but that was in the group stage. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't remember many times like progressing in this fashion. No, I'm, I'm having to go like quite a long way back in my head. Yeah. I mean, because last season, the, the Olympiacos one, was it really late like this? It was, uh, yeah, it was really it was, late, right? It was like the 120th minute. But we still had time to make a guilt edge chance in the hundred and twenty second minute. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That Bamiyang missed, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then you know which one stands out in my mind for reasons I can't fully articulate? Was it PSV? There's a header from a corner yep. in the second leg. Alex. Alex, yep. yeah. That that one hurt. Yeah. That that hurt me, I think. I remember saying this at the time and people thought I was mad. That hurt me more than the Champions League final the previous season because um, just because of the manner of it. Um, yeah. Whereas the Champions League final, I kind of, I expected it and I was a bit like, well, you know, we've never been here before, so we don't really have any right to expect to win it. But I very, very naively, I came out of that Champions League final thinking, because like before that, we had a really good team that just couldn't play in Europe. And I remember coming out of that final thinking, it's all right, we've cracked Europe. We'll be back here um, <laughs> in a few years. Like, we'll, <laughs> we'll get another chance to win this. And uh, what a prediction that turned out to be. It's like buying GameStop at 410, uh, <laughs> right right, right after it went to the moon, um, to be topical. Yeah. yeah, and then that PSV game like shattered that illusion for me. It was just like, oh no, that was really a one-off and it's never happening again. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that one really does stick in the memory. I mean, maybe not on the level of, of Wayne Bridge and Chelsea, maybe not even on the level of that uh, Ryan Babel. Was it a Ryan Babel penalty against Liverpool? But it was yep. painful. Let's, let's not do this. Why are we doing this? We won, we're through. <laughs> let's not do this. Um, um, I, so here's the funny thing, right? Have you ever gotten into a really bad argument with Debs? Like, like a really, you know, one of those where you just, you're mad. You're both mad. You go, you go to sleep mad. You know what I mean? Um, maybe not. It's yeah. Not, not many. We're both, we're both conflict averse oh, <laughs> generally, well, but, that, um, that will not yeah, present itself yeah, yeah. negatively in any ways long term. Um, well, <laughs> look, so the reason I bring it up is like last night was kind of like for me when your partner makes a big gesture of contrition you know, wants to, is ready to make up, makes a big gesture of contrition, but you're just not quite ready to stop being mad yet. You know, like I was thrilled. I punched the air 87th minute winner to go through what could be better. What a great feeling. But I had had those 20 minutes or so, half an hour to stew over the, the absolute ridiculousness of Arsenal and us doing this to ourselves again and shooting ourselves in the foot. And how can we do this again? I wasn't ready to make up with Arsenal yet. So like I was happy, but Mm -hmm. I still was, was carrying that that anger from the 61st minute you know, onto the 87th yep. minute. So today I wake up and I see the draw and it's Olympiacos and we can win that, get some revenge against them and we're through and I'm thinking about it and the smile starts to wash over me. So today, are you connecting more with a little bit of the joy and relief of going through or is the frustration of the position we got ourselves in to begin with still the prominent feeling for you? 
100% I'm more connected with the joy. Had I had I been on the instant reaction pod, which was I was going to be, but fittingly my my daughter wouldn't stop crying, <laughs> and my wife having missed the entire game trying to get her to sleep, I I couldn't bail um, to do the podcast. Um, but yeah, I was I was kind of in a similar place to you guys. I, I've got some stuff in my drafts on Twitter that I am so glad never saw the light of day. <laughs> Um, because, As I, much like and, I have no filter, I have no drafts. All of those comments go right on the Twitter for me, which explains a lot. I, I, I had, I had something in drafts. I think just before um, Tierney scored, and um, and it and it was very like this style of play is awful. We're just pumping the ball into the box. You know, this team just doesn't have any idea because, you know, I was very much, I think if we lose Arteta should probably, and, and actually I started to think to myself, right. I kind of said to myself before the game, I think Arteta should go mm. if we don't win. And I was thinking, but how do, how, how do I, um, so, so like, let's have this thought out because I hadn't really thought it out. And I started to think, well, you know, season's kind of over. So I'm not necessarily suggesting an immediate sacking because what's the point? But let's start sounding out candidates and get something together. And if, if it means we get someone in the summer and we just trundle on with Arteta till the end of the season, fight, like I was having these thoughts. And, You're really showing your yeah, intellectual I, I, work here, by the way. You're not just giving us the solution. You're showing <laughs> us the work. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and then of course Tierney, because the thing is, as soon as we went two one down, I thought we're not we're not going to get this back because we are not the sort of team that comes back from a goal down. We just aren't, and and and, and it was weird the switch because I went from thinking we will not score a goal, and then Tierney does that, and with so much time left, I thought right, we will score. Like I do think we'll win now, so I kind of. You know, I, I, I switched quite quickly. Like the importance of that goal was just so big, particularly at the time it came. Mm. Um, but yeah, I so I, I definitely had some some misgivings about the way we played, blah, blah, blah. But there is there is a part of me as well. And, and some of those I kind of keep. And to be honest, they're like misgivings and doubts I've had for months anyway. So it's not like it's not like I'm taking anything extra on. Those are kind of still in the back pocket, but they were ready to they were ready to come out. And, and I guess so there are two things that kind of, I guess, hit me. I mean, first of all, I do think there is a thing with cup football where it's like just get through just one way or another, get through. And, and that's all that matters. Um, and I do think that cup football is distinct from league football in that way. I really do. And I really do think a little bit you can separate it from process, which, which you know, a lot of people would say, don't judge a manager on cup wins. And I think it's for that reason, because because of the situation. But I, I was also struck by something Arteta said after the game, which I, I actually thought made quite a bit of, well, not made quite a bit of sense. Like he was uh, he was talking about this as a memory. Mm. Um, and he said, what, what I, you know, I, I can't remember the exact quote, so I'm going to paraphrase what I took from it, that he was basically saying, look, we got there in the end with like an exciting late winner. And what we have to do now is like, this has to be a good memory and like something we draw on, like the next time we're in this situation, we just, you know, we have that memory of, oh, we did it against Olympiacos. We got those two goals. We got the late goal. And, um, and and I, I guess just having that kind of because we haven't really I mean, since the FA Cup win, like we won at Old Trafford. But I think the win at Old Trafford like was completely wiped out by what followed um, by like not winning for basically two months. Yeah. So I, I think <laughs> it's kind of right to point to like I think he's right that a team needs good memories. 
um, you know, about late wins or like, what was it? Bukayo Saka tweeted something like, you know, more European nights like this. Like it felt like um, it felt like it, it, it felt like a big achievement and maybe it shouldn't be because it was Benfica. But if that's what it feels like for them, then then great. And Arteta's job now is to harness that and kind of just use that as, as a bit of momentum um, going forward. Because I think, I think that manager and all those players know that the season was on the brink last night and they brought it back. And maybe they only brought it back for one more round. You'd hope not, but they brought it back. And, and that needs to be something that spurs them on now. Yeah, yeah, well said. Look, I, I think there's a lot here. It, it is... It is interesting. You talk about how cup football is so different, Tim. And ultimately, the reason this tie is even nervy to begin with is they get a nonsense penalty in the first leg where we contrive to miss a bunch of chances to put the tie to bed. And then they are they score a Golazo free kick at the very end of the first half. And they get an mm. absolute gift of a one-on-one with the keeper thanks to an error. I mean, this is 180 minutes of football where they create almost nothing, Right. Mm. Um, except through a bad penalty, an incredible free kick, and a gift on, on you know defending our our own corner kick. So like it it, it is a game where every, we it feels like the story of our season in a way, right? Like every tiny little sliver we gave the opposition was punished as ruthlessly mm. and fully as it could be punished, and vice versa. We we failed to have the the cutting edge at the other end to to make our dominance count. Now, I will say this, Tim. I think when they came out in this game, this is where not having it at the Emirates, I think, really hurt us. Rather than mm. coming out sort of nervous and and sh- shying away from us and, and really being overwhelmed by the occasion, they came out of the gate, I thought, really strong in this game, looking, I think, better than they did in the first in terms of their pressing and preventing us from really being able to progress the ball into dangerous areas. And so it felt like we had more of a game on our hands than maybe we expected. And I wonder if that knocked us back a little. Because I I think there was probably the sense that we'd go into this game and just make it easy. Because it felt sort yeah. of easy in the first leg and we didn't. And and it was pretty clear early on we were in a game. There was a shot of Arteta on the touchline early in the first half where the nerves were painted on his face. And I think it might have been the realization that, oh, we're, we're in a real tie here. Um, I think he got the lineup mm. Fairly spot on, but one of the things that I want to touch on in a bit, well, maybe, maybe we can just do it now really quickly, is the question of playing Smith-Rowe on the left and, and Odegaard through the middle. Um, You know, we'll, we'll probably come on to Pepe a little bit more when we talk about the Williams substitution, which is definitely going to be an interesting talking point. But, like, I, I, this is a lineup that he started with against Leeds, ostensibly maybe to be a little more technical and handle the press. And maybe he felt that the same kind of challenge presented itself against Benfica, who were very pressing. But I'm not convinced that this is a solution for Smith-Rowe individually or for the team together. So, in particular, I mean, mm. do you feel that, that that dynamic of having Odegaard and Smith-Rowe both play with one of them wide is one that he might have to examine as, as not being a going-forward strategy? Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, I said this after the Leeds game when it worked really, really well, that I thought it worked well for that game, but it wasn't necessarily um, something I saw working really going forward. I, th- I think that the kind of the problem with it is that, it, you know, I, I think it just needs another shooter in mm. there, basically. Um, it, it makes it three plus one, I think, for creators 
versus um, finishers, and I, I think you need more of a two plus two, and and yeah, so I think left wing should either be Pepe or Martinelli um, for that reason, and and yeah, I it, it was weird because I was interested after the Leeds game to think is is this something he just picked for Leeds or is this something he sees, um, you know working going forward and I think one of the things we've learned about Arteta is that basically when Arsenal win he wants to just keep the same side as much as possible um, and and there might be something to that in terms of trying to create some kind of momentum or reward people for good performances or whatever it is but um, yeah I it, the thing is I think I actually think our attack in terms of personnel is in a good place we should not be paying money, the sort of money, either in transfer fees or wages, to some of those players that we have been. But I like our attack personnel-wise. I think there's there's a lot of good players there who do very different things, and I think you can you can go horses for courses a little bit with our attack, and and I like that. Um, I'm not sure that Arteta really leans into it though. I think he just he picks something, it works for a game, and then bang, it's in for three games until it doesn't work anymore. Um, and I, I'd really like to see a little bit more of, of kind of rotation in it. Um, but yeah, I, I still think it it becomes too dependent on individuals to pull rabbits out of hats. We saw in the first leg, it makes you know if if Aubameyang has a bad night in front of goal, like that's it basically, because he's yeah. the only one really shooting. Um, now, Saka, Saka's the kind of um, the dagger in this equation, really, because he's showing he can create and score. Um, and therefore, he can, you know, he can fit either profile in that two plus two or both, which is, you know, makes him incredibly useful. I, I think my initial impression of it was that in this game also, it's quite a counter-pressy three behind um well at least i kind of thought that behind the bamiang but actually i'm not sure Erdegaard is that player i think Erdegaard looks much more like he leans slightly to the right but largely he kind of wants to stay in the center mm-hmm. whereas smith Rowe, um you know smith Rowe kind of fills in he he goes to both flanks when players make runs inside he fills in and and it's probably just because I've seen a bit more of him. I, I think I kind of prefer Smith Rowe in the role at the moment, just because I think he he just covers a bit more ground and he's better at pressing. Um, but yeah, I I I wasn't necessarily sure about it. I I still, given that Benfica until they had a considerable lead in this game, were still playing with a high line. I still would have really liked to have seen either Martinelli Martinelli or Pepe. Um, going for it I know we'll come on to the Willian substitution and I guess I do understand Arteta's explanation a bit in that at that point they dropped deep but they were still quite high and one of the reasons Elliot I find this game so difficult to evaluate is because we didn't it's weird because we actually created loads of chances over the two legs but I still somehow think that we should have created more and and I think one of the reasons I and, and many others I think feel like that is the amount of offsides um, you know, and, and obviously they don't show up on XG and on shots that Aubameyang has a goal yeah, disallowed yeah. for offside. And and there are loads of, um, you know, there are just loads of incidents where we're just like half a yard offside. And, and actually that shows intent and that shows we're trying to get in behind, that we're playing on the shoulder. 
and and really i kind of think of some of those offsides as kind of shots almost but obviously you're offside so you don't get the shot you know so i i i think that's why i feel like the shot count and the xg count don't quite reflect what we were trying to do and i guess why it felt like we left something on the pitch in terms of the chances we could have created yeah i mean it it was definitely a tie that was defined by offsides the ones that were and the ones that weren't, right? I mean, every goal other yep. than Tierney basically checked for offside within a whisker away of being offside or not offside. In the first leg, they didn't go for us, you know, 10 offside. In this leg, it did go for us with the exception of uh, the other Aubameyang goal that was ruled out. But yeah, I don't, I don't, it's not that I particularly have a problem with it. You know, look, the chances we created are enough chances to win this tie. They should never have gotten the goals they did. I think it's more that there were periods in the second leg in particular that reminded me a bit of November, December in terms of center back with the ball mm -hmm. or Shaka deep with the ball, everybody up the pitch, nobody between the lines to receive it. So everything funneling out wide and lump it into the box. There was, there was a bit of that that had come back, and I'm not totally sure why, and I'd probably have to watch it again to understand why that dynamic emerged. It was a little over one expected goal in this game, and look, let's be realistic— all of it is on Aubameyang's header at the end because that's a a huge, as as huge a huge chance as they get. Um, but before we we sort of dig into the the tactical minutia, and you know we don't have Clive for his his expert um, breakdown of that particular aspect of it, but I think we can wax uh, lyrical about Bukayo Saka here a bit. Arteta mm -hmm. expressly indicating in his post match comments that the kid is fatigued. Um, I mean, you know, we, we, we talk about that on the pod and, you know, people say, oh, he's 19, he can play all the time and we don't know what the physios are thinking. But I mean, he said, this is the quote, it's nerves of steel and as well because he's really fatigued. He's played a lot of minutes and hasn't had much rest. <laughs> I mean, so mm -hmm. there it is. It's as express as it gets. One of the downsides of having Discord and Twitter and making notes for the podcast and multiple screens is that sometimes when you watch a game, you will glance away from the screen at the wrong moment and miss <laughs> the brilliance of something. And I have to admit, I don't think I realized how brilliant Saka's pass to Aubameyang is, the, the first one, yep. until re-watching it. Yep. I thought it was closer to the box for some reason. It was more of a slip ball. That is not a slip ball. That is a disguised pass that takes like five Benfica players out anticipates the Aubameyang run, and credit to Aubameyang, because, you know, you always say, oh, if the defense is organized, there's, you know, we can't run him behind. Running him behind isn't just about counterattacking. That's running him behind from the top of the box into the box. And it's a curved run. Mm -hmm. He manages to keep himself on, on side. The finish is beautiful. But that pass, Tim, if, if you haven't mm -hmm. watched it again, watch it again. It is sensational. It's um it's a peak Ozil pass um and that's that's about the highest compliment you can give it um and and you're right about Bamiang by the way because the the thing is with strikers they make that run fifty times completely unrewarded before they get the ball and that's the art of the striker right there um and we saw Bamiang make that curved run and he didn't always get it absolutely right but he kept making it again and again and if you keep doing it it's only got to go right once or twice um but yeah that that pass you know the other thing. I love about that pass is the position that he picks up to make it and you're right like it's an it's an absolutely outstanding piece of vision and execution because if that got like you know it, it was like watching like watching lawn bowls or something like <laughs> if that ball goes at like an inch 
further or sh is or is an inch shorter or an inch more to the left or the right like it doesn't happen like it's absolute eye of the needle stuff yep um but what i love about it the most and uh, i have to give credit to art de roche who, who tweeted about this in the first few minutes like you can see benfica saw that saka was the danger man and they just put three guys on on the flank next to him to just to block the passing lanes into him and so he did and so saka just did and it sounds really simple but it's the sort of like independence and, and quick thinking that just top players do and it, uh, you know he didn't wait for his coach to ask him he was just like okay i'm gonna go and stand 10 to 15 yards further in there and then you've got a choice whether you follow me or not you can either all follow me and you're all out of position or you'll leave me and i'm free hmm. um and just those little bits of movement that that top players are just always thinking and they're not just kind of um, and, and work live on on the pod, I'm sure he'd say something like that's the sort of thing Pepe maybe doesn't do when he gets crowded out by three players or as his passing lane's blocked, he just kind of stands there feeling sorry for himself for a sack. Mm. I was like, okay, I, I've, I've seen like, I've seen you like a chess game, you know, it's like, I see your move um, and, 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 and like, here's my move now. And he mm. gives, he just always gives teams a decision to make. And it's just that, that decision to come 10 to 15 yards further in field and, and try and influence play there. Um, but without getting in Erdegaard's way either. And, and yeah, it's, it's just an absolutely elite pass. I think the second assist is fantastic as well. Yeah, um, it, it is. For no, no, no. Like that is pin again, pinpoint, like at, at any derivation on that. And it's not, it's not going where it goes to. And and when you've got a forward like a Bamiang as well, who who just makes those runs again and again, you know he he must just be thinking at the moment, I'm just going to keep just going to keep making that movement because like he'll see me, and it's such um it's such an antidote to the usual crossing we see from Arsenal. Like I'm not down on crossing, what I'm down on is Arteta's teams too often just walloping crosses in from the touchline like mm -hmm. but when you pick up that position on the corner of the box and you put the cross in a place like that where it's a nightmare for defenders and only needs a touch like Aubameyang doesn't he, he has the movement he doesn't really have to do anything whereas one of those walloped crosses from the touchline that goes to you know you've got to get a really good header to score yeah. from there this is just like just be there and it will hit you on the face and go in even if you don't do anything else you know what it reminded me of? There was a, was I think it might have been against Munchen Gladbeck. Uh, Cancelo had a pass from the left half space, an in swinger right onto the head of Bernardo Silva, where and and it's probably a little bit of a trickier finish. It was actually in the Champions League, but it's just one of those where the the pass is an invitation, as they say, right? And there's there's no alternative yeah. but to score, and the pass shows the attacker where to run to as well. So it just, it does all the work. Yep. It's got all the information on it. Um, you know, it really struck me, Tim. I think this, Bukayo Saka was a player who as he broke into the team, his energy and his indefatigable willingness to run up and down the touchline and dribble and burst and just try to make something happen were what made you notice him. And there wasn't really finishing there, right? I mean, there was the mm. odd assist or goal, but it, that was, you know, what you noticed. Like a lot of young players, the endeavor, with a little bit of skill. Now, the irony is in this game, I don't think he was brilliant. I don't think he was on mm -hmm. it. I don't think he was, you know, uh, an energizer bunny. But it was the opposite. It was that he had the absolute unrivaled quality, the most quality on the pitch, to make the two most important 
interventions, and I, that's taking a lot away from Aubameyang and Rose. We'll get to that. Um, and it suddenly dawned on me, this is a 19-year-old dragging us through a European tie mm. who is dead on his feet at times, I thought. And maybe that's hyperbole, but he, lo- he looked pretty fatigued. The manager said it, but ha- produced the part that is the part that for most of these young players as they come through is the hard part, the end product, the final ball. Yep. You know, the the two pinpoint moments of supreme quality. And I just sort of wonder as you watch a game like this where he doesn't have necessarily the explosiveness and the energy and the drive to do it by force of will in a way that Tierney kind of did, but where he has the superior quality, just how much it strikes you to have a 19-year-old dragging this club into the next round in Europe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and like end product was, I mean, he, he got a lot of assists last season, but I, I'm with you. They, they weren't like, they weren't this level of assist a lot of it was overlapping quite often from left wing back and you know getting a good cut back or a cross in or something like that but this is like yeah this is real cometh cometh the hour cometh the man stuff and and he's the the thing is that's kind of frightening and and really exciting is he's added that in product more uh, look we always end up talking about fabregas don't we when when we talk about young players because that's kind of that's where the bellwether is the gold standard yep Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think he's added end product more quickly than Fabregas. I think a lot of people don't really remember. If you look in Fabregas's first three seasons, there's not a great deal of end products there. Like there's not loads of assists. There's not many goals. And then in 2007-8, when Henri goes, that's when he really steps up and goes, right, okay, I'm taking the corners now. I'm taking the free kicks. I'm taking the penalties. I'm taking the shots. I'm getting the assists. Like he just went up a level um, around about that time. That, so that took Fabregas like a good three seasons. And don't get me wrong, when he first came into the team as well, like Burkamp and Perez and Henri and Vieira are already there. So, you know, you, you, you don't really need to. And, and it was when he really needed to. But but Saka's put it together more quickly in just just in terms of end product. Um, and you're right in this game. I, I don't I don't think he's amazing. He, you know, he also does it in the first leg, uh, gets the equalizer um, straight away. A, a absolutely pivotal moment in mm-hmm. the tie. And that's that, that's just when you see that's when you see who your players are um, in those moments, those kind of clutch moments. And, and he's already like, I can't think of many 19 year olds. Like I really can't think of many 19 year olds, even in the last 10 to 15 years um, who I could say that about really like even, and I'm not like, I'm not saying he's going to go on to be better, but even Ronaldo at 19, um, it took him till he was 20, 21, till he was really putting together, you know, proper end product and really taking a team it, over. Is Ronaldo a fair comp, though? Because I, I, I do see Saka having a much higher ceiling than that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. No, and, I get, and, yeah. And maybe, maybe it's just a function of the team that he's in, which is not particularly high on talent. Perhaps if he comes into a team that has, I don't know, Fabregas and Van Persie in it, maybe he is you know, slightly more of a foil um, to those players. And as it happens, he comes into a team where the quality, like the, the quality that's up there with him is a Bamiang, but his quality as a goal scorer, he's not going to, like he's not going to go and win the game by the dragging it by the scruff of the neck. Like he needs service. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the other one, you know, who shows up in this game as well is Tierney, who also I don't think overall had a very good game either. 
but he's a left back, right? So there's really only, and, and he does what he does really, really well, but you can't ask your left back to go and win a game for you. Um, you can only ask your elite level penalty area striker to win a game for you if he's getting the ball. So what Saka is doing is winning games for us by doing like that, that last bit, that kind of, okay, we can get the ball to the edge of the uh, edge of the area. And then if you can get it into the area, Bamiyang will score. But really the hardest part for Arsenal is how do we go from the edge of the area to the edge of the six yard box? And, and Saka, Saka is the one doing that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, it, it is, it is really remarkable to have a 19 year old. You know what it is, Tim? It, it felt good to have the old familiar feeling come back of, wow, this guy's amazing. Oh God, someone's going to come in for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's also, it's the sliding doors moment a little bit too. Like this is why, you know, and I I get tedious on this stuff, so we don't have to lean into this. There's plenty of other stuff to cover, but like we took a very fair fee for Alex Awobi, who was a very decent servant for us and an academy kid as well. But it opened the door for Saka to come into the team. And had we not made that path available, might the trajectory have been different? Might he not have re-signed? I mean, if you remember, it was just last summer we were sort of having panic attacks about Saka not re-signing a contract. So, you know, all of these little things that you have to do to position yourself for success, sometimes you also have to make the hard decisions about who's, whose future you want to protect. And we did that with Saka, and it is paying huge dividends. So let, let's do this. Since he created the goals for him, I think it's a chance for us to talk about Aubameyang as well. You know, Aubameyang is going to be a really tricky player when it's all said and done to evaluate in his time at Arsenal because he will have scored an absolute mountain of goals, some very important ones, and he'll have some misses that are going to haunt him. I mean, obviously, had we not gone through last night, you'd be saying his misses cost us this tie. His miss at the death cost us the Olympiacos tie. I don't think I have to remind you about a certain penalty at White Hart Lane that cost us top four and end of St. Totteringham's day. So there's a lot bound up in him because, you know, unfortunately, he is a player... Well, fortunately and unfortunately, we've talked about this a lot, right? The guys that get the most chances miss the most chances, but he has had some misses that really are easy to remember, unfortunately. Um, Now he has a couple of goals, not for the first time, but a couple of goals that will be easy to remember as well. He wins the tie at the death. Uh, I think he had the chance to do last season and didn't. He, he, He makes amends for it to some extent here. You put out a tweet that I couldn't disagree with more, though, I have to say. Um, You know, do you have it in front of you? I'm struggling to find it. Um... About the hold-up play. Let me see. Here we go. Yes. Uh, I want to read it because I really disagree. You said he was rubbish, not enough holding the ball up and linking play. Tim, I just, I couldn't disagree. (laughs) That was facetious, people. He didn't mean it. But I I get your point, right? The fact is, we had this debate for a long time. Oh, he's fine at left wing. At left wing, he, you know, he creates, you know, he creates chances, scores goals. Don't worry about it. But the truth is, he is a center forward. And you see now, the reason he's a center forward is, you don't notice him until he's scoring the goals. It's, it is the thing that makes him special. He just knows how to move in the box and get free. He should have had a hat trick. He's offside by a whisker on the third one, and the finish on all of them is excellent. No, no problems tonight. I think it's just another data point, Tim, for us on Aubameyang as a uniquely, specifically penalty box striker quality player. Like That's what he is, and when you let him yep. do that, it's going to pay dividends over time. Yeah, absolutely. And I should point out Olympiacos last season as well. He he does actually score to give us the lead in that tie yeah, in extra time. Yeah. And, Qu- and Am we, I wrong to say quite brilliantly? Or, or yes, is this, yeah, it was yeah. like a kind of, not quite an overhead kick, but it was like a spinning volley. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and yeah, of course, like, you know, 
those, those players miss chances and and yeah i was being a bit facetious like i'm not saying that like link up play and 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 all that is useless it's not it's just give give me the guy that that makes the runs give me the guy that puts himself in front of goal that's the and you know and look you you could make an argument well i'd like a guy who does both wouldn't we all um but the thing is at arsenal we do have a very explicit choice between two center forwards and one of them um, you know, is is quite good at coming outside the box and holding the ball up and linking play. And one of them is really, really good at getting in the box and scoring goals. And I'm sorry, there's one of those things that matters more than the other. Um, and I, I think it's as simple as that, um, which is not like a criticism of Lacazette per se. It's just that is the, that is literally the binary choice that we have. And And the thing is, I think with him on the left wing, I think he'd maybe get a chance or two every game. What we're seeing at the moment with him up front is he's getting three or four. Mm. Um, I, I know which one of those I want. I think also the the thing that falls out of the equation as well is that he's a bit of a zero in build up, right? And and I know like a lot of people, um, you know, think think that makes him a less complete striker, and it probably does, but. If he's going to be a zero and build up, I'd much rather have that from my centre forward than my left winger, um, basically. Mm. Now, I also get the idea that you want your left winger to score as well, or one of your wide forwards, which is why I would advocate for Pepe or Martinelli to be there more often than not, so that we have that secondary goal scorer. Um, but, you know, with that with that first goal, you know, that that's when I made the comment, right, on the tweet. Um, well, no, actually, it wasn't. It was it was another tweet I put out where, like, I just put running in behind better than holding up play, and and that is again the binary choice we have. What what do you want and need there? Do you want um, Saka to find Lacazette coming short to play a one-two? Not a bad move at all. Could have led to a goal. Um, we've certainly seen it before. Or do you want the guy running in behind? And I want the guy running in behind. Um, it's that simple. And, you know, and everything else we've talked about a million times, he's 31, we've committed to him till he's 34, makes much more sense to restrict the space we want him to run into and build the framework around him to keep creating chances. And the, and the thing as well about Aubameyang with the missed chances, however much it bothers um, some people and it bothers some people more than me, which is fine, it doesn't bother him. Um, it clearly doesn't bother him. Mm. He, um, I think there was a quote from him before this game where he talked about a Champions League tie he'd played against Benfica with Dortmund. And he said, like, I think he said, I missed a hat full in the first leg we drew. And then <clears> the second <throat> leg, I scored a hat trick. And, uh, and you know, he, he nearly did that here. And, and it's clear to me that his attitude is very much like, yeah, if I just keep making those runs and getting in the area... I'll score. I'll score lots of goals and I'll be happy. And, and that's kind of that. And and that's what's important. However, we feel about the misses. And I think um, missing chances happens a lot more than people realize. Um, watch Mane and Salah. Um, just watch how much they miss, how much they mess up in the final third. It's it's about volume. Um, I really believe that. And, and Aubameyang's who we've got. And look, if you want to make the argument that I'd like a more complete striker, that's kind of fine but that's not what we've got that's not what we've committed to so let's lean into what we've committed to and um yeah i think we're seeing you know it's 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 not rocket science is it he wasn't scoring or getting chances on the left wing he's getting loads of chances up front it's it's as simple as that 
Yeah. And I mean, to be fair, we've also reconfigured the system to get more creative players into it and have more opportunity to hold the ball and build the play without the center forward needing to be doing it. I mean, it, it seems like a million years ago, Tim, that our number nine was dropping to the halfway line to build play yeah. and then being asked to run all the way into the box to do stuff. Yeah, know, yeah. That wasn't going to work. <laughs> I, I think the other thing as well is when you've got a Bamiang on the left, yes, he can make that um, out to in run, but that's the only run he can make from there. Look at his first goal um, in this game. He, he can't, well, he could, I guess, but he's not going to make that run from the left wing. Mm. You know, from the left wing, that's Lacazette going short and that's Aubameyang out on the left wing hoping the ball might drop to him eventually. Like, he, he can make more runs from centre forward that go, um, that you know, go right to left or left to right. And yes, he does kind of hug that that left channel a bit more, a bit like Henri did, but he's just got more freedom to run everywhere. Whereas I think from the left wing, he can make one run and one run only. And that's why he was getting fewer chances and, and fewer goals out there for me. Yeah, and, and more of it has to come from him starting with the ball, you know, which yep. is not, I think is preferred way to do it. You, you know, what's so great about that first goal, Tim, the, and this is the problem. If Pukai Osaka isn't an absolute genius, doesn't spot the run, doesn't sort of anticipate it and play the perfect ball, that moment is just nothing. And we're yep. maybe talking today about Aubameyang had sort of a so-so game, didn't really influence the game. He makes those runs constantly. He's constantly bending runs into those areas. And now we have guys who find the run, who try to play that ball. And in Saka, a guy who, who's you know capable of playing what is a sensational ball, both in terms of anticipation and execution. But that ball only happens if the striker's making that run. Yep. And that striker only gets to look good if the player making the pass does it. So, you know, yeah. you know what I mean? And otherwise, we'd, we we wouldn't even notice it. it. It would just be Aubameyang was invisible. But he's yeah. doing those things. He needs the players to provide for him, and now he has them. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd really urge people to read, um, if they have an athletic membership, Michael Cox did an interview with Gary Lineker um, a couple of months ago. And, and for those who never saw him, Lineker was the absolute... Um, you know, he was almost the butt of jokes because he was just like none of his goals were from further than six yards out. He was the absolute ultimate uh, goal poacher, uh, phenomenal goal scoring record during his career. I think people and, in Zaghi um, would like a word. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Very kind of similar types of player. Mm. And um, and Michael Cox just went through like 10 of his goals with him. And, uh, and it's really interesting because he breaks this stuff down and he says, like, people always said to me during my career, like, how did you know the ball was going to drop there? And he was saying, I didn't. It's just I did it 10 times before that and the ball didn't drop there. It's just you didn't see it. It's just it's it's about repetition. And, and he, you know, he said I was asked constantly in my career how I found spaces. And he said, actually, my my. I wasn't as, and people think, you know, oh, you're really good at finding space in the box. And he said, I probably wasn't. It's just, I kept trying again and again and again and again. And he was like, the art of the striker is not to get frustrated, is to keep making the runs, knowing that over 90% of them, you won't even see the ball, let alone get a chance or a clear shot. But you keep doing it again and again and again for that one time. And and that's um and you know this is all like pre xg and all of this and so you know he he really understood that it's about volume and actually center forward is a really inefficient position and it, and it's actually not as glamorous a position as it sounds cuz quite a lot of the time you're just running yeah. and you're not seeing the ball <laughs> well you know what's funny tim that you're just making me realize as as you're describing this it is probably the first time 
that we've had any real run of games since we signed Aubameyang that we are using Aubameyang as the player yep. we had purchased. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yep. literally, this is the guy we bought from Dortmund, and it's taken us however many seasons he's been here now to use him like the guy we bought from Dortmund. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which, mm. yeah, which, which is kind of mad, but, <laughs> well, but, but I, you here know. we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and look, at the same time, we committed to him for another contract now, so... You know, what, whatever we got there in the end. Plenty I hope. of chance, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and hopefully long may it continue. Uh, look, we, we still have to talk about Kieran Tierney and, and his character as well as his quality. We still have to talk about the Willian sub. Maybe look ahead briefly to Leicester and talk about the draw just a little bit. So there's something there. And maybe maybe a word about Ceballos, um, who I almost feel a little sorry for. Or, or, to be fair, I feel relief for uh, more than anything right now. But I think what we also have to talk about is... Spring is in the air. It is. I mean, it may seem a little early. Spring is in the air. It is late February, so we're, we're not far. Um, but you know what else is in the air? The odor of having been stuck in your home for a year. And you know the best way to get that odor out? It's not to waste water showering. Showering is, showering is so 2019, so indulgent. You just spray cologne. Let's go back to the days of the, the French royalty, French aristocracy. Just spray cologne. That is what we are all about now. Spraying cologne on our dirty but well-shaved bodies. That's right. This is a Manscaped ad. You've shaved yourself with the lawnmower 3.0. Your body is hairless and beautiful. But now it needs to smell beautiful as well. And thankfully, thankfully, Manscaped not only has the lawnmower 3.0, which I should reiterate is the finest way to shave your privates or any part of your body you prefer. It has this awesome... Uh, um, uh, uh, battery that, that just goes and goes and goes. I, you know, because I've had mine in the shower since I think I got it. And I, I think I've charged it once now in the entire time, despite using it regularly. So definitely, uh, definitely a great thing about it. It's got the ceramic blade. It doesn't tug or pull or anything like that. Things just great. But you've used that. And now you need to smell great. And they have a cologne and it is an excellent cologne. I've tried it. Uh, it has been uh, approved by my beautiful wife, whom I love. She She is in favor of it. So, that's great. I, I Again, I do this every episode now because I just, I am so in awe of and inspired by the people who write descriptions for cologne that I want to read <laughs> this again. Calming and inviting. The signature scent introduces a light citrus burst before settling into the anchoring notes of vetiver and woodsy masculine finish. I don't know if I'm supposed to spray it on myself or put it in a brandy snifter and have it with a cigar. But either way, the 50 milliliter spray bottle is hypoallergenic, cruelty-free, dye-free, paraben-free, and 100% vegan. So send a bottle to Hector Bellerin if you want. Maybe it'll improve his play. Fact of the matter is, you need it. It goes perfectly with being perfectly groomed. And you know what grows great with it? 20% off and free shipping when you use Arsenal Vision at checkout. Manscaped.com, promo code Arsenal Vision. Manscaped.com, promo code Arsenal Vision. Again, when the pandemic's over, we're going to run in the street, we're going to drop our drawers, and we're going to smell great and look amazing. And it, that's going to be a good day. I promise. Uh, I don't have Clive here to tell me if that's enough. Manscaped.com, promo code Arsenal Vision. Tim, is that enough? That That is quite enough of that, yes. Quite enough, okay. I don't feel that you, you know, maybe you hide it better. I don't feel that you are as put off by it as Clive is, but I, but I appreciate you standing <laughs> in for him in this respect. Let's um, <laughs> let's touch on, uh, on Kieran Tierney because there is no progression if Kieran Tierney doesn't start the fight back. You know, I said it on the Instant Reaction Pod. I think people have tweeted it. It was redolent of the, the Bakari Sanya goal in the, in the North London Derby that that 
screw this. I'm taking this into my own hands. We're getting a goal and we're getting back into this. No um, extravagant celebration, just a punch the air. Let's go back to the center circle. Tim, there are there are a lot of things to like about Kieran Tierney. He's an excellent player. And that goal is going to be remembered for its its character when it should be remembered for its quality. There's a little dribble. There's some sensitive, beautiful little footwork that goes. And then he smashes it into the corner. It's a perfect finish. Uh, a, a winger would be proud to score a goal like that. But it, it's hard to overlook the character element of it, despite the quality, mm-hmm. because he was rusty in the first leg uh, when he came on. I think he looked rusty against Manchester City as well. And there was still a little rust in this game, but he yep. just sort of said, no, I'm not letting this happen. No. And have you ever seen the movie Tombstone? Um, don't believe I have. Might be more of an American type thing, but I will tell you, uh, if you are a fan of the Western genre, it is a bit campy, but quite excellent. Um, there's a great Val Kilmer performance, one of one of a few Val Kilmer performances that, that can be referenced that way as he plays Doc Holliday. But um, it, it is, there's a scene where the, the main character in Tombstone, um, they're under siege at a river, okay? And mm. it, it looks like they're all going to be killed, all, all the good guys, right? And Wyatt Earp, played by Kurt Russell, who was the main character in it, he sort of stands up in the middle of this siege, when it's all going poorly, and it looks like they're just gonna, just gonna lose this gunfight, he stands up and he just starts going, "No, no," and he just marches into the river, gun out, and just starts shooting. Despite all these people shooting back at him, no, and he basically like takes them all out. It is the least believable, most ridiculous scene, <laughs> but I can't help think about it with this tyranny thing that he's just sort of like, no, we're not going out. Yeah. We're not going out in the round of 32 again. We're not going out to Benfica. I'm taking matters into my own hand. No. And so you can emphasize whichever part you want. It's part quality. It's part character. But I think it's the character part that stands out to me in a team that probably needs that kind of person. Yeah, absolutely. And look, so um, soft factors are, generally speaking, over-attributed in uh, football analysis. However, that doesn't mean they're not important. And when you listen to ex-players a lot, they reference it a lot. And it's not because they're idiots um, who are not on our intellectual plane, darling. It's it's because the actual talent gap between all of these players is is relatively speaking quite small and there are lots of very very talented footballers who don't come close to making professional careers and it's because it's because of those soft factors because of mentality and and things like that i i knew people when i was a kid who i didn't think that much of as footballers who went on to be professional footballers um, who who didn't enormous like like they were better than everyone else, but I wouldn't have said, oh god, that guy's going to play in the Premier League. And yeah, yeah, there are a couple who have, and um and and that's because of that that just that sense of character. I think that is generally what separates um, the level of talent um, in 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 kind of when we're talking elite. And Tierney, I I thought he had quite a poor game up to that point, but. Does it matter? No, nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> not at all. And, and and that's the thing. And and other players recognise that as well. And if I if I let's say um, I'm me now and I come and visit you on Thursday morning, and I say Arsenal are going to be two one down, and someone is just going to fucking take the ball and smash it in the back of the net and get it back to the centre circle. You'd probably only think of about three players that would do that. You'd think mm, maybe a Bamiang, although smashing it doesn't sound like him. 
maybe Saka, maybe Tierney. I don't think you'd pick anyone else. Um, and I think it says a lot that those were the three players that really made the difference on the night. And and yeah, it's and and it's just one of those moments that just switches things up. And I know I went from thinking we're not going to score to we're going to win now. And and I'm sure the players thought of it like that. And I think the timing of it as well is the fact that it was with 20 odd minutes to go, so they had time to you know, time to like calm down. Cause if that happens in like the 85th minute and then you're just like lumping balls into the box, hoping you can do something, but it gave us a chance to take a breath. It gave Mikel Arteta a chance to make a slightly baffling substitution, which we then recovered from, um, you know, it, it, it just gave us enough time as well, but yeah, absolutely. That, that is absolutely important. And, and I, th- I guess I think I just want to say, um, even though you didn't ask the question, I think it's relevant. <laughs> I, I still don't understand this kind of, we must make him captain stuff. Like I just, I just find I I'm, I'm still, I'm baffled by it. it it's, I think it's, it is a very British thing. It's a very Royal. You know, the, the best answer thing, to that, but... that, the best answer to that Tim that I can think of is, and I think Clive made this point on the post Manchester city podcast, who was city's captain on the day? Beats yeah, me. It was Sterling. <laughs> yeah, yeah but you, you wouldn't. Beats me. You wouldn't know it. Does it matter? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and it's just um, it's yeah, it, exactly. Like wearing the captain's arm, like not wearing the captain's armband didn't make doesn't make Kieran Tierney a different player. Like he still did that. That's fine. Like who is the captain is literally zero percent important. It's it's about leadership. And look, Abamyang scored. <laughs> two goals by the way so you know he's done and look he wouldn't have not scored if he wasn't captain he still would have made those runs and got those goals like it makes absolutely no difference we don't have to keep obsessing over who our captain is you can make another argument i think you can make another argument tim which is actually players who are prone to extra emotion and leadership putting the armband on them feels they have to sort of almost almost it almost becomes a pantomime at that point you know they, they who they could make... you be referencing there <laughs> no nobody no one you could think of <laughs> yeah i mean and and it may even wind up with them throwing that armband on the ground telling everybody to fuck <laughs> off um but but yeah I, I do think sometimes if you're prone to a strong character and a leadership quality that it can be best to let that present itself naturally rather than yep. putting extra emphasis on it regardless look leadership in the team is always good Armband or no armband. And and he yeah, has it. Exactly. And it's funny, right? Because there's some of the stuff that's sort of folksy and, and fun for social media that I don't care about. The, you know, not wearing gloves in the winter or Tesco bag, yeah, you know, yeah. down to earth. I get why that plays. But what I care about is what happens on the pitch and, and how that transmits itself. And, you know, his character transmitted itself on the night. I, I think it was a, it, you know, much like Santi Cazorla's goal against Hull City in the FA Cup. It sounds dumb to say without Tierney's goal, we don't get through. I mean, obviously, but I don't, I don't think if that happens even five minutes later, I just, you know, I feel that the life gets sucked out of it. In fact, to be fair, maybe I've got this a little wrong because Tim, the one thing I'll say is after the Tierney goal, there was a period where we were kind of second best for a bit and I kind of lost the belief that it was going to happen. So let's get into the substitutions. Mm. This is, this is a tricky one in the wake of a win. And especially in the wake of a win where a player we don't particularly rate has a sort of positive influence, you have two options. You can evaluate a decision based on the outcome, which is totally fair. You can evaluate the decision based on the process by which it was arrived at. It may not have been English, but you get me. He brings on William. And I have to admit, in the moment, Mm. Tim, I thought, 
I can't believe Arteta's reign at Arsenal is going to come to an end with him going out, choosing Willian as his as his tribute, as his hero, as his savior. Um, I don't think Willian was good. And, and that may be a controversial statement. I do think Willian did a very nice job giving the ball to Tierney for Tierney to still do a lot of work to score a goal. And it's the barest mm. of assists if it's even an assist. But he wasn't bad, certainly. Um, you know, he tried to inject some energy. He ran around a bit, which he hadn't done previously. Uh, let's let's take this in pieces because there's there's a lot to unpack here, and I don't want to go straight to the Pepe or Martinelli issue. Let's just first talk about this: the decision to bring on Willian, and and I want to read Arteta's words too because I'm not I'm not certain they make sense to me, and maybe you can make sense of them on why he didn't bring on Pepe or, or Martinelli because there wasn't much space to run him behind. It was a really tight two lines, four four one one or five three two at times. They were a really really low block. Not much space to run apart from when they set the line around the 18-yard box. You need people to unlock that with special qualities in tight spaces to create movement. And I think William was really helpful tonight. Now, to read that quote, you need people to unlock that with special qualities in tight spaces to create movement, not much space to run. I think about Pepe, tricky with the ball at his feet, pull a guy out of position, maybe get past the first guy. William, as you've always said, is more of a push-and-run winger. And he hasn't been particularly effective on the left. So the decision is fine now because it worked out. But just setting that aside for a second, doesn't it Doesn't it feel crazy? Doesn't it feel a little bit crazy? Maybe a little bit. So I, I, I'm still um, a little bit torn on this because I, I do see what Arteta's saying. Maybe he's retrofitting a bit there. I, I mean... Long term, am I worried that he doesn't see Pepe and Martinelli coming on because there isn't space in behind? I mean, when do you bring a player on when there's space in behind? You're basically saying they're unusable substitutes. And maybe he believes that. Um, I, so it, I did kind of get it from the point of view that at that point, Benfica abandoned the high line and they just sat in. And I think what you kind of wanted was someone to keep a little bit of width, someone who could keep the ball. Whereas I think with Martinelli and Pepe, they do they try to make things happen, but in doing so, they lose the ball a lot. And I think what he was probably going for, I mean, A, he probably wanted to get more out of Tierney, in which case kind of job done um, there. I, I, I can't remember if he referenced that in the quote or not, but he, you know, he, he wanted to release Tierney a bit more and he wanted not someone quote, to... No, but yeah. mm-hmm. no, no, but he wanted um, someone to, to kind of work on the overlap a little bit more and for Willian to be that that secure kind of guy who who tees up the overlap which again historically Willian has been very good at we haven't seen it at Arsenal but this is a guy who played on the right hand side for Brazil with Dani Alves knew what he was doing there and so in in one respect even though it's not like an enormously impressive assist but I do kind of get what Arteta's saying in terms of that that did kind of come to fruition he had the technical you know the usually anyway technical um secure guy just to like give the simple pass not lose the ball keep them under pressure and and it did kind of work out that way i mean that said i kind of agree i don't think willian really did anything else in the game but maybe he had an impact just by kind of staying wide and keeping them stretched and keeping you know just just keeping them penned in a bit rather than um like i remember us in an fa cup game a few years ago and we left sanchez on the bench and we brought him on and he was fucking terrible because it was 1-1 and he just kept smashing the ball over the bar and it was like no like we really had 
if it's Sunderland we were playing or someone like that and we really had them under pressure and he just kept walloping the fucking ball over the bar and it was like that that's not what we needed at the mo- at that time we needed to keep them under pressure to keep them penned in and so I think that that's kind of what he was thinking and in that respect I'm not willing to say what an absolute masterstroke um, from either him or Willian but I, I do kind of get it and do think there is a level of vindication there even if it's not like oh Willian came up with this amazing assist and it were and like we had them on toast on that left hand side I don't think that's what happened I think there was one <clears throat> moment that happened and in a, in effect I kind of believe Arteta when he says that maybe he envisaged that kind of moment if that makes sense it, it makes sense. I think the problem also, look, if you want to tell me what Willian was before he came to Arsenal and that that's why Arteta chose him, like, fine. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It was he, a massive gamble. Yeah, he hasn't been that guy. I think we can agree yeah. on that, right? Like, I don't dispute that there were qualities to Willian's game before he arrived that would make him useful in this situation, but he has not demonstrated them much or at all at Arsenal. And the idea that Pepe, who had been in really great form from the left, and Martinelli, who's just, you know, an exciting young player. And I I accept that maybe we haven't seen enough from him this season to know. But Pepe certainly, packed defense, great deliverer of the ball into the box, does have end product, can beat a man. Um, you know, the idea that the right move is the guy who has basically been absolutely dreadful for us is hard for me to defend. Now, you could be sitting there listening to this podcast going, Elliot, it worked. Fair enough. I'm so glad it did. And great. I mean, you know, did it work? I guess, Tim, like, I'm not convinced it worked per se. I'm convinced that we we won and that's all that matters. It worked so, in one moment. In one moment, it worked reasonably well. But, you know, and Tierney still had a lot to. But yes, fine. I, and by the way, I don't think William was bad in this game. I guess what I'm saying is, Tim, if nine times out of ten with everything on the line, William is his choice there. I, sorry, if, if ten times out of ten William is his choice there, I think nine times out of ten... That is not going to work for him, is what I'm trying to say. No, but I, I guess I was just about to say there are two alternative timelines here where Pepe comes on, and in one of those timelines, he comes on and scores. And in another one of those timelines, he comes on and he loses the ball three times and he keeps smashing it over the bar or hitting shit crosses. Like, he, he's... He is still an incredibly sure, absolutely yep. mm-hmm. streaky, quite unreliable player, but he might just win you a game. And and I'm guessing what Arteta wanted was I guess I'm guessing Arteta banked on the the idea like William was never going to come on and like win this game with like a piece of skill and like a bending shot into the top corner or anything. I think he was he was just banking on that he had probably Saka and Aubameyang, maybe Tierney to do that. And what he wanted was a bit more of a continuity guy because we had them under pressure and he wanted to keep them under pressure. And I guess he still saw combination players the way to get through Benfica rather than, um, you know, in individualist feats, um, I guess. I, 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 I think that's how, how he saw it. But like I say, there, there are two alternative timelines where he doesn't do this. I, I, I mean, I think in the longer term with Willian, I, like I still think there is some sense in trying to get some sort of tune out of him just because um, I, I don't think we can Urzel him. I, ju- I just don't think we can do that for two and a half years. Like I do think, I, like I don't think we've yet come to that stage where it's like right this guy's just not in the squad anymore and we'll just pay him for two years to do nothing like 
I, I refuse to believe he's become a bad player overnight, even if this team doesn't suit him. Um, and even if his role ends up being the guy that comes on because he's experienced and, you know, won't wallop the ball into Rosette in the last minute. Uh, like, even if that's all we can do, that's kind of better than nothing. But I'm, I'm with you in terms of <laughs> that's a very risky maneuver when potentially your job's on the line and certainly Arsenal's season is on the line. And, I, you know, again, <clears throat> to be clear, there is a benefit to Willian being usable because as much as he has lost most of the fans, he's on a big wage and he's here to stay. And if he's usable, yeah. that's a good thing for Arsenal. If he's unusable, that's a bad thing for Arsenal. So while yeah. I, I struggle to connect with the decision, if it's viewed as having worked, great. If it leads to him putting in better performances going forward, great. I think it does lead to us having to have a quick conversation about what it means for Pepe. Because if you just look at this from the standpoint of Pepe is there on the bench, he's played on the left very effectively in our recent run of improving performances, and Willian is there on the bench and has basically been terrible all season, and he chose Willian over Pepe, you can't help. And I, I get it. Pepe just started against Manchester City, by the way, on the right, highly tactical game, you know, maybe even as a rotational option um, to keep some players fresh. But but so I, I'm not saying he's been totally frozen out, but like it just does seem that when when everything is on the line, Pepe is not the player that Arteta would ideally like to use. He found a way no. to get Smith, Rowe, and Odegaard in the team together at Pepe's expense. And he found a way with everything on the line to get Willian on instead of Pepe. And I just can't really figure out why. Yeah, yeah. Look, we we know by now that, um, you know, Pepe is not a player that Arteta is particularly taken with or would have chosen. We know that Emery <laughs> didn't really want Pepe either. Um, and, and you're like, it seemed like it seems very Goldilocks, um, you know, or whatever the reverse of Goldilocks is, uh, maybe reverse Goldilocks, um, you know, this, this kind of, Revert, don't he don't owned, Google reverse Goldilocks because I'm just going to guess that it's going to lead you to a bad place. Okay, so just just quite, leave that one, please. Quite yeah. possibly, or if you mm. do, put incognito browsing on. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> but but yeah, like it, it's. I mean, it seems like he's he's um, he's resolved that he can only use Pepe in very specific circumstances. Like it's very like. Nope, the porridge was too hot. Nope, the porridge was too cold. And and yeah, of course, that is not what you ideally want from your seventy-two million pound player. I, I'm with what Paul said on the instant reaction. Like we will, we will see him this season. We will, I I wouldn't be surprised at all if he starts against Leicester. I I think like the best he can hope for for his Arsenal career at the moment is to be like that high-level rotation option, the guy that you know, maybe comes into a few games. Maybe there's a specific opponent. Arteta really thinks that he can, he can cause damage to. Um, but ultimately I think if, and I'm sure he's had this discussion with Edu, I'm sure if there was a like, look, we could sell Pepe for good money tomorrow. He'd, he'd do it in, in a, in an absolute blink of an eye and bring in someone He'd, he'd really like, um, but, how, you know, how far are we going to be able to do that? I don't know. But, yeah, I mean, we, we know that Pepe is, is very far from Arteta's ideal choice. I think that's obvious by now. Yeah, and, I mean, taking it out of the context of whether William was the right choice in this game, it worked out, and that's fine. I still think putting it in the context of Pepe being an important player for Arsenal with a lot of good qualities who we would benefit from having built on the good run he was on, 
Mm. I don't know how to unwind that sentence. It was going somewhere good. And then it got, it got lost in jargon, but like um, essentially we were doing something good with Pepe and we were talking about, Hey, maybe Arteta's on to something here. That's going to really start to get good things out of Pepe uh, and make this feel like a valuable player for us. And then he goes with Smith Rowe on the left and Pepe drops out. And his only real appearance after that is on the right against city, which was always going to be a tough situation. He doesn't get picked here. It, it all starts to feel like it unravels again. So we'll just have to see where it goes. Um, mm. very, very curious what happens against Leicester. I mean, does Willian now get a start? <laughs> you know, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> I at would. all. He's, he's going to have to rotate again, I think. He's sort of acknowledging that fatigue is an issue. Um, there are some injuries for Leicester. I don't know. I mean, my my hope is we kind of go as strong as we can in that game because we have a week yep. before the next yep. one. Let's um set that aside just for one second. We'll start to wrap up. But real quick on, on the subs generally, okay, Tierney gets a goal. It's then 11, 11, 12 minutes till he makes the next one. Subs have been a constant talking point under Arteta. He had five he could make in this game. Do you think it was a case of, all right, we got the goal. Let's see how that changes things. Give the players a, a bit of time to try to work it out. Or was he just sitting on his hands frozen? I mean, I I started to, I'll admit, get antsy with the idea that he wasn't changing it some more because I also felt the period between the Tierney goal and the next sub wasn't a particularly good period of play for us. No, I, so I, I understand why the Tierney goal changes things. I, I'm sure um, another couple of minutes passes. He probably does bring on Martinelli and Pepe and just thinks, fuck it, I need guys who are going to shoot. And if you know, all their shots go over the bar, so be it. Um, and and that goal makes them think, okay, now we only need one goal. Um, so let's, you know, so let, let's be a bit, a bit calmer and a bit more structured. I think, um, I thought we looked really unbalanced after the subs where, I mean, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I got this sense initially that Saka had gone to right back and that then essentially they just said, no, why the fuck are we doing this? And they just went to a back three and put Saka up a bit more, um, which probably should have just been the initial move. I, I think overall, my what I'm guessing from Arteta's subs, do you remember when people used to say that Wenger's subs were pre-planned and mm -hmm. that they found that really annoying? It's not annoying, it's planning, right? I mean, don't get me wrong, it's one thing if you just make the sub no matter what, but you should have in mind different changes that you will make for different game states. And I just don't see that. Like, I just don't see that. Right, okay, we've equalised, so this is my plan now. Or, no, we're two goals down. So I have and, – and obviously you've got to respect the pattern of the game and everything like that. So you can't, you can't be absolutely rigid. But I think really, at least with the help of your coaching staff, you should have changes in mind, you know? Like, teams train with, like, 10 men, for example, because they say, what if we get a player sent off? How do we play? I just don't get the sense that Arteta thinks about his subs in advance that much to, just to take some mm. of that stress away in the moment. I might be completely wrong, um, but just to take away some of that stress in the moment, that kind of, no, we've worked on this. If we're 2-1 down in the 70th minute, this is what we're doing. Um, and, you know, like the game state might call for something else and therefore you go, OK, actually, um, here's all the reasons that this won't work at the moment. So we'll do something else. But, you know, just that little bit of preparatory work to take the sting out of it in the moment and not to overthink things, I think, um, a little bit. And, and um, you know, like our record at, at coming back from behind is really bad um, in general. And, and I think it's because we struggle to change gears. All of our substitutions, like, 
and and again you, this can be a strength as much as a weakness sometimes but like the formation never changes like sometimes he'll put a different like, like with Willian right that's putting a different type of player um so you haven't changed the formation but you have changed something you've you've put something different there but like the formation always stays the same you know or this or like it just doesn't feel like most of the time when he makes subs that anything really changes that much or the gears of the ch- of the game change that much you know um and it could be because he's you know subscribed to that bielsa school of well if i change everything then the players stop eventually over a medium term period stop believing in the system because i'm standing on the touchline going mm, actually no it doesn't work anymore whereas i've got to like show them um, that I'm, I've got complete faith in it and this is the way to play so that they play like that. So I kind of get that, but he's bad, I think, at injecting a gear change into things. And I wonder if he should think about it a bit more in advance and have different plans for different scenarios because when he made the second set of subs and Saka was at right back, like we did nothing for five or six minutes. And I, I tweeted at that point, like I held back on a lot of tweets during that second half and I'm really glad I did. <laughs> but one I, I didn't hold back on was I just put that the, these subs have completely unbalanced us again. And it wasn't until I think whether this was you know, Arteta's decision, I'm sure it was, but we took Saka away from right back and just went, oh, do you know what, fuck it, we don't need four defenders. Like, we'll just stick David Luiz in that channel and we'll just keep Saka where he was and lo and behold, he comes up with that cross for the goal. But do you know what I mean? Like, it, Oh, I totally bit, know, yeah. I, I, I can give him the benefit of the doubt on the Willian one because it kind of comes to fruition, but Better you the, than me. the second <laughs> set of subs like just doesn't at all. Like I, I think he was scrabbling there and, and he shouldn't be because he should be thinking about this stuff in advance. Yeah. The one thing I will say is that like we got, we got this one over the line and thank God this wasn't one of those situations where we made some changes and then absolutely battered them for five or 10 minutes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There was really no battering there. Um, we had 10 shots total in the game. Now, that's not the only way you can batter a team, but you know what I mean? This wasn't, we had them pinned deep in their box and it felt like it was coming. I I don't know that I felt that way at any point. And I think in general, if you look at us, we, you know, we are one of the worst in the league in terms of scoring goals in the last 15 minutes of games. Fatigue is definitely playing a role. I don't want to take that away, but I don't know that outside of his tactical structure, Arteta... this is probably a reach. I'm probably playing into a narrative there a little too much, but I think you know what I'm trying to drive at, which is when the game falls out of the sort of tactical structure and just needs that sort of all hands to the pump, push them back, create a a lot of pressure on, on them kind of, kind of moment when you're chasing a game like this. I don't know if we have a solution for doing that. It's easier said than done, by the way. Like it's not an easy thing to just say, well, just go and create tons and tons of chances. Oh, well when you put it that way, why didn't we think of that? Um, but I mean, did you feel that way in the end game that we were battering them? Cause I, I don't think we oh. ever managed to create that kind of superiority. No, no. And again, the, like, so the Tierney goal is, I've gone on a bit about this recently. Like the Tierney goal is an unstructured goal, right? I don't mm-hmm. think they worked on that on the training ground. That's a, Oh, here we go. Like, I'm just, I'm just taking this thing. Whereas, you know, the, the, like there's there's craft to that winning goal, which which sounds weird as a criticism, um, and particularly when I've kind of criticised them for just bashing crosses in. So, but do you know what I mean? Like it, it it doesn't. You're right. It wasn't a kind of we've got them really hemmed in now. We've got them really pinned back. Um, it it didn't feel or look like that at all. It was it was still like pick the lock, quite eye of the needle. Um, 
Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I think broadly I agree with you. Yeah. There. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's wrap up on just two things quickly. I don't think the Ceballos thing needs too much analysis. He had a mayor, no. right? I mean, yep. it's, it's that simple. Yeah. He, he had a mayor and it happens. And like, I, I said this on the instant reaction pod, what happened to him for their goal reminds me a little bit of when Emery would leave Ganduzi back as the last guy on corner yeah. kicks. I just, I just don't think that's, <laughs> we want to be set up. Um, so, all right, point taken. Don't do that again. I think reactions... Ceballos is difficult, right? Because he has, unfortunately, except maybe during Project Restart, not really hit elite levels with us. I also don't think he's quite as bad as some people want to make out. I just think that he has been a fairly milk toast player who yep. isn't going to rise to the level of someone we would be thrilled to to keep at Arsenal. So it is what it is. I mean, are you fine kind of leaving it like that absolutely yeah no, not that's exactly how i feel not nothing more to add really it's all been very six out of ten really i think for player on the club yeah well so then that that kind of leaves us with this first of all i mean the, the draw it's olympiakos it's a chance to get revenge you could say oh oh great well revenge but we lost them last season so they're not an easy team to beat i think that's wrong would be wrong to say but we won away last season at Olympiacos. Uh, Arsblog replied to me quite, quite brilliantly that we have the advantage of playing both legs at home this time because we're playing in Athens. Um, get it? Because we played our home leg in Athens. But um, I, I think, look, you look at the teams left, this is going to be a hard knockout, knockout stage of the Europa League. There are a lot of big teams in it. But ultimately, it's a good draw, right? I mean, it's a good draw and it's a chance yeah. to right the wrongs of the last season. Yeah, absolutely. Look, it's, you know, I know I know we lost to them last season, but we really shouldn't have and we're still better than them. Like we should beat them. It it really is that simple and you know, they call it revenge if you want, but we've played Olympiacos a lot of times and generally beaten them. Albeit they they did beat us at the Emirates when they had Marco Silva um as as manager, but you know, yeah, we we're, we're better than this team and 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 is it right that in the court if we go through we get either Mulder or Granada in the quarterfinals? Um and so there's there's a good Is that picked already? I do you know what? I I don't know that for certain. I'm sure I saw someone say that. But I, I, you I'm, may be uh mixed up by me because I actually said that the winner of Mold and Granada would be a great draw. <laughs> no, but, so, oh, someone so, someone said it to me outright, but I, uh, yeah, I don't know that for sure. I haven't. That looked, would but, be amazing, but I don't know if that's correct. <laughs> no, but um, yeah. but yeah, so like it's 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 just it's a really great chance to go through basically. And when you look at who and what is left, and it was all unseeded, and we could have gotten anyone, um, I, I'd have taken that. And look, we might we might go out to them, but if we go out to them, then again, I think the manager's future should be in question. Put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Um, I it could spare us the humility of go, a humiliation of going out to someone who's more rivally in a subsequent round. So, so yes. there is that because yeah, exactly. it all yeah, could get yeah. a little bit spicy in the in, in the following round. Um, all right. Well, last point: Lester this weekend. We have a week between games. Does he just try to have to try to push the boat out one more time? Strongest lineup he can. We we need a result in the league, and they have injuries. Or is the best chance to get a result to freshen it up? Um, I think freshen it up a little bit, but in terms of, I mean, Tierney, there's three players, right? We're really talking about here. Tierney, check on him. 
um, see what he's like. Leave that with the fitness staff. Abamyang, I think, play him. He had three games off, three, four games off recently. So I, I think he should be fine. And Saka, I would, unless he's like really red zoned um, close to an injury or something like that, I'd, I'd play him as well in the knowledge that we've got that week off. And then, you know, maybe have him on the bench against against Burnley as well. The, the rest of the pieces of this team, honestly, I think are fairly interchangeable anyway. Um, maybe other than the goalkeeper, but that's that's not a position we need to think about rotating anyway. So, um, yeah, I, I think strong as possible. Um, let's see with Tierney, player Bamiang and play Saka unless it's it's really not advisable to do so because th- this is a good chance for us to beat Leicester. They, they've had a really bad result there without Madison um, as well. So perhaps like I don't think there's a good time to play Leicester, but this is probably as good as it's going to get. So yeah, let's go for it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's leave it there. I think that'll do it. We'll, uh, we'll have a post-match pod instantly after the game uh, for patrons and a full pod on Monday. And more than anything, I just want to say thank you so much for being here, riding these highs and lows together. This was a big, big high. In the immediate wake of it, it felt more like, why do you do this to me, Arsenal? But today it feels really good. And I'm really happy for it. Tim's on Twitter. Still, but I think Tim. My pleasure as always. And, and just to add to that, I, I, I still really enjoyed this because I, I love cup football because it feels meaningful. And uh, I felt alive during this game in a way I probably haven't for a game for, for quite a while. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, the Europa League sucks and we want to be in the Champions League, but it felt important last night. I can't help it, you know, call us a tin pot club or whatever you want to call it. Like, this is the European competition we're in. This is the one that can get us into the Champions League. It's a big, big prize on offer, and going out would have felt like there was not much left meat on the bone for the season. So I'm glad it carries on and I I am thrilled. So I hope everyone else is feeling the same way and I hope you're looking forward to the weekend where we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Lester Nil. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.